Amen. Amen. So uh, we're right in the middle of uh, this account of the nation of Israel being uh, set free from their captivity in Egypt as slaves. And Moses has uh, had this encounter with the Lord at the burning bush where the Lord uh, commissions him and puts him essentially into the ministry. Uh, he has that long discussion where he insists to the Lord that he's not qualified, that he doesn't speak well, and that he shouldn't be the one uh, to represent the Lord uh, to Pharaoh or to the people. And uh, then the Lord agrees. He's angry with Moses because he's called him and chosen him to be his representative and his minister. But uh, he agrees with Moses to allow for Moses' brother Aaron uh, to be the spokesman. Uh, Moses will communicate with the Lord and then uh, communicate to Aaron, and Aaron will communicate with Pharaoh and the people. What you're going to see is the Lord allows that as a position, but in the end, Moses does almost all of the communicating anyway. Uh, he's the one who's communicating with the Lord and then with the people. So afterward, Moses and Aaron went in, in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 5, and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, this is literally what the Lord wants. It's going to ultimately be that they're set free and they're able to go all the way to the promised land. But the Lord wants this to begin with the freedom to worship. Now, you know, as you probably well know, Calvary Chapel, we uh, teach through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, in the time we've been here, the 17 years we've been here, we've taught all the way from Genesis to Revelation three times. And uh, we've taught you know, 21 some odd books, uh, you know, a couple other times. So we teach the word of God from beginning to end where we leave off uh, this week. That's where we're going to pick up uh, next week, hopefully with uh, chapter six, as we just continue this forward progression through. I make the point here because it's, it's always interesting to me when uh, circumstances line up. It's not something we orchestrate. Here we are talking about Israel's Independence Day. And we're looking at this week the celebration of our nation's independence. And it was because of the tyrannical rule of the king and the leadership of England that we chose to have this independence first in coming here and establishing, you know, the settlements in living here, the pilgrims uh, and uh, those others that came here to escape England did that uh, as a form of worship, strictly for the purposes of coming to find freedom to worship Jesus Christ. Uh, and then later, with uh, the independence of this nation, it was a continuation of that same idea. Certainly there was a financial uh, aspect to it you know, as well, you know, the taxation uh, without representation, but the independence that came to the hearts and minds 
of the men who follow this. This isn't like some big political sermon, but the independence that came to the hearts and minds of the men like George Washington was because of the preaching of a man by the name of William Tennant. William Tennant had in his heart and mind to train men here in America to teach the word of God. And the colleges of Europe said they wouldn't allow it, that if you wanted to be a pastor, you had to return to Europe and be trained by them. And he understood, William Tennant understood, that almost none of them would ever be able to afford that. They wouldn't be able to afford the the passage back to England, let alone the tuitions of those colleges. So he started teaching uh, the men here in America. Those universities in Europe mocked his efforts here and referred to them as the log colleges because they were meeting in log homes as he taught these young ministers the word of God. Their preaching was so powerful that it converted the hearts and minds of the men and women of this nation who then had the strength and courage from their faith to declare independence from England. The word of God is what brought that to them. And the fight that you know followed was intense. And so it will be for the nation of Israel. And so it will be for you. That as you look at the opportunity to follow the Lord with your life, you have to understand you have an enemy that's not going to give you up easily. So here he wants them to worship. Moses has made the declaration. Chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And that's sort of the summary of an unbelieving world. It certainly is, uh, you know, the heart and mind of a lot of the world around us today. You know, it was that magazine article so many years ago that declared God is dead. And now the world wants to argue about whether there is any God, whether there is you know, creation, whether the Bible is legitimate. This was just a book that was written by men. You're going to hear all kinds of arguments along the way. If you examine the truth in those things, you'll find it very liberating in the process. You know, there's all kinds of opinions out there, but there's truth. There really is truth. That's something that this generation really struggles with. Is there truth? This generation has so much information, they don't know where truth begins and where lies end. You know, they surf the internet all day long, and you don't know. I made the explanation uh, this past Thursday night. So many people, you know, science and pseudoscience, what is supposedly science, they, they look at that like some fascinating thing or something that should be honored above the word of God. And I made the point one more time. You know, any of you guys in this room, you can show your hand if you want to. Have you seen the pictures uh, taken by the Hubble telescope? Those beautiful nebulous gas clouds and the planet so far away. Are you aware that those are almost entirely fake? I'm not, I'm not saying that as like some conspiracy theory. Uh, that's a process that NASA has done with Photoshop. Okay, I'm not, I, they openly admit it. You can, you can look up the articles yourself. Okay, uh, most of what the Hubble telescope sees is done in black and white under high resolution, and it's electronic information. 
It's, it's, not, it's just electronic signals or radio waves. It has little to do with photographic images. Those beautiful nebulous clouds that we all saw in Time magazine so many years ago, fake. Photoshop. Okay, they're they're going to ask us every single year for billions more, right? And, you know, here's another aspect they're never going to discuss with you. Most of what NASA does is maintain an incredible spy network of satellites for our government. Okay, so they, they need that money from you and I, right? And, and if, you know, they were showing you grainy photographs of, you know, distant pulsar stars, uh, that only scientists would understand by looking at you, and I'd be like, I'm keeping my millions. You know what I'm saying? I just, I want, I want to retire. You aren't having any more of my cash. And instead, they they have a beautiful PR campaign where they put this out there, and we see it. And we go, that's amazing. And now we just don't care when they take our money away from us. Truth, truth versus fiction. The truth of God's word. Okay, this book has been protected, miraculously protected by God in order for us to have it, to know it, and to believe it. Here, Pharaoh is being told, it's time for you to let my people go. My people need to be able to have the freedom to worship. We need to have the freedom to worship in this nation. And there are always going to be those that say, who is the Lord? Is there really a God? What is this junk you know, that you're believing in? If you look into it, it's another small point, largest body of scientists in the world, pause for effect, Creation Research Institute in San Diego, California. So that's the largest body of scientists in the world. They're all Christian believers, and they're the leaders in their area of study, microbiology and physics, and largest body of scientists in the world. Doesn't belong to NASA, doesn't belong to any, but you never hear that. They're not going to declare to you that there are more people who are the leading scientists in the world who believe in the Bible and believe in creation and Christianity than there are who believe in all of the opposing facts. But, you know, the loudest voice in our communities and our culture is going to say, who is this God? What is this all about? Why, why are you demanding to be able to worship him? Verse 3, so they said... The God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. We have to be obedient to him, or bad things are going to occur to us. We've been called to obedience, and we need to obey him so that we don't experience negative things. That's the truth for us, right? If the world is demanding of you that you stop worshiping Jesus Christ, if the pressures around you are saying, you know, you're, you're thinking like, we're not in some communist country, Will. Uh, you know, we still have the freedoms. Well, wake up because you don't. Okay? Uh, you cannot declare some of the things that the Bible says are wrong as being wrong anymore in this culture. If you just stand up and read certain things from the Word of God, they're going to call it hate speech. And you're going to be in serious trouble. In Canada, just a little over four hours away, they arrest a pastor 
because he's simply reading from the Word of God in his church. He's not out even in public. He's just in his church reading that homosexuality is a sin under arrest, brought in court. That, that's that's very short distance away from us. Physically, spiritually, we're getting very close to the point where you're not going to... Now, if you're sitting here saying, well, well, you shouldn't be allowed to say that. Look, if we start saying that, if we start taking freedoms away, then everybody loses their freedom in the process. Everyone, right? If, if today they can say, you don't have the freedom or I don't have the freedom to say that, then the next thing they're going to do, we don't know. They're going to be able to declare, okay, you don't have freedom to say this and you also don't have freedom to say that. And, and what if it becomes, what if the tables turn, right? And you end up with someone like Adolf Hitler, in place. You know, we're, we're not far from that. You see some of the people that are involved in politics today and you read what their views of the world are, they could potentially be our next president. The freedom we have is so precious. And what here we see going on, it's happening right in front of us. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, and we need to worship him. We need to have the freedom to worship him so that we don't experience terrible things ourselves. We personally need the freedom to worship. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. You're just trying to allow for the people to stop doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be building these supply cities for us, and now you want them to take a day off. You want them to be able to go and worship your God. You want them to take three days off to go out and worship in order to please your God. We don't even know if this God exists. We don't believe in this God ourselves. And now suddenly you want them to stop from the slave labor that we have them involved in. Our culture is saying a similar thing about that too, right? You're going to take one day off in order to go worship Jesus Christ. I mean, who can afford that? Shouldn't you be working? And, and if you have time off, Shouldn't you be going and, you know, fixing your house and doing the things with your family that you want to do? How is it that you've made this decision to now worship Jesus Christ? This whole opposition that we see, this, this whole anger that is brewing, they're slaves, you guys. They're absolute slaves. Now, look, my slavery, you know, when, when I was... Living my life in opposition to God. I was a slave to sin. Completely enslaved to drugs and alcohol. You know, sexual sin. My whole life was consumed by terrible things. I, I mean, when I surrendered my life to Christ, um, I, was, uh, I had already been arrested for robbery. I, I was in the midst of a court proceeding over that whole thing. Uh, my teenage girlfriend was pregnant uh, with my child. You know, she's now my wife of 30 years sitting right here with us. The children are scattered around amongst us. But, uh, you know, my teenage girlfriend was pregnant with my 
child, uh, I was basically homeless, just couch surfing from one friend to another as long as they would tolerate me. I'd been fired uh, from my job. I had no vehicle. My license was under suspension. Life was horrible. Okay, I mean, maybe yours was squeaky clean, but mine was terrible. I didn't, I didn't know what date. I was a petty thief. I was a petty drug dealer. Just, it was terrible. Christ delivered me. And yet, and yet, years later, right, my mind starts to drift. And I start to remember the good old days as though they were good somehow. I know you guys don't do that. You can pray for me. But, I mean, just it's weird how our mind works. You know, we were slaves. They're slaves here in this moment. Pharaoh's saying, absolutely not. I will not allow you guys to go worship. Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, uh, you know, they're now in the wilderness set free from God. And they say, we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. You know, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They were slaves. They've been set free. Years later, in their freedom, all they can think about was, wasn't the cuisine awesome? Isn't it stupid how short-sighted we are? Yeah, but you were slaves. You know, I, you, you guys, again, I know none of you were like this, but I would go to bed sick from the drugs and alcohol and swear I'm never doing this again. And my first conscious thought when I awoke in the morning was, how am I going to get high right now? Very first thing. And then all day, all over again. And, and you know, I would end day after day after day like that. Never again. Okay, right now. Never again. Okay, right now. I was a slave. I was a slave to it. You know, people would say, you're enslaved to that. And then I would argue with them about, don't you tell me. I'm free to do whatever I want to. I wasn't free. Today I am free. Free from that. Free to make choices. I was enslaved, and yet our minds will drift back and think, oh, yeah, that was a great party. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that fun when we used to be able to whatnot? No. No, we were slaves. Whatever enjoyable moment might have happened along the way, you were a slave, moron. Wake up. Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1, today's memory verse. There the prophet said, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Remember the rock from which you were hewn and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. You got to remember where you came from. You've got to look back. I know Christians that don't tell their kids about, you know, their dirty past. We just we will just we'll pretend that we were always like pristine college graduates, okay? Just don't tell them about the horrors of what we went through. Yeah, wait until they start having the desire to go after those things. I can tell you right now, you're much better off to be honest, right? We know that as a general rule. Anyway, it's always better to be honest. I find a great dishonesty. If it confronts you today, good. So uh, if you don't like people to know 
about your past, I find a great dishonesty in that. You were freed from that. Remember, I'm not talking about walking around, you know, wearing it on your shirt sleeve all the time. But that's if Christ has freed you, right, then that's something to declare to the world. That's something for the world to know. Because you're living amongst people that are all enslaved themselves. All around you is a world of people that are enslaved. You know, to what degree? Where you say, share that with people. Remember the rock from which you were hewn, the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Back in Exodus chapter 5, looking at verse 6. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. You shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard foolish words. There is a big argument amongst the archaeologists as to whether the Hebrew people were ever slaves in Egypt. And I just want to be very clear. They absolutely were, okay? And the timeline is very perfect and very exact. The difficulty is in Egypt's timelines. Uh, Egypt, whether you know this or not, um, they are a country that they did not ever record the bad things in their history. If they had bad behavior, such as keeping millions of slaves, they didn't record that. If they had, you know, kings that later fell from their glory into disgrace, they would go right through their entire nation and remove every remembrance of them. I'm talking concerted efforts to pound their statues into dust, right? To, to shatter them and break them and continuously pound on the stones until those stones were unrecognizable as a statue. To literally go through the monuments that had been constructed and chisel off the faces and the records of those that had fallen from glory. No defeat of their military was recorded in any of their history. According to the Egyptian record of history, they were never defeated as an army. They were defeated repeatedly, over and over again, all of the countries around them. As such, their timelines are way messed up. They, they, don't, they, they shifted their timelines around when they recorded history in order to say that things wouldn't line up. You can't, you can't have any of this. If you take the surrounding countries, including Israel's history, and you examine Egypt strictly according to the surrounding nations' records of those histories, everything lines up according to what we're reading right here, including the fact that these store cities that they were building, you can go there and to this day, all of the lower columns of the walls are built with bricks that contain cut straw. The inclusion of straw in the brick manufacturing process does two things. It lends a fiber that makes the brick hold together in the hardening 
process, you know, it's kind of like having fiberglass in the Bondo, you know what I'm saying? Some of the guys do. So it, it, it holds the form better, but also as the brick ages, the straw's decomposition gives an acid to the newly formed stone that causes it to continue to harden. So rather than soften and weaken like a lot of other stones that would you know, decay and fall apart, the acid hardens the brick. So that's why they include straw in the mixture. What they're using at this point is a cut straw. So it's been harvested and it's been chopped into very uniform lengths and it's stacked into bundles and bins and they're able to just scoop it up and throw it in with the mixture and mix it all in with the clay and then form their brick and it's very you know processed at this point the pharaoh now says no more straw they're going to have to take care of that themselves and we're going to see that what happens is they now have to meet the same quota of bricks but they've got to go get their own straw in these archaeological digs there's cut straw on all the lower levels and as you move up into it it's what they call stubble it's it's just what's been ripped out of the ground root systems and all is thrown in whole you know stalks of uh you know vegetation without any of it being cut all mixed in with the brick material in order to make the bricks and then as you get into the upper levels there's no straw at all and those bricks are completely deteriorated it's a confirmation an archaeological confirmation that what we're reading here exactly happened as it's recorded and in the same timeline exactly what we're reading over and over again the archaeologist spade is a confirmation to what we already know from the word of god so don't listen to them you're gonna have to you know follow the same quota of bricks and these men are giving you false words and you need to ignore them verse 10 the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying thus says pharaoh i will not give you straw Go, get yourselves straw where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So this people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota. And when there, as there was when there was straw, also the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So now the beatings increased. They were already under very cruel taskmasters. You, you'll remember and all the way back when Moses was living amongst them before he left for the 40 years to go live in Midian, uh, he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster who was beating one of the Jewish people. So their, their circumstances were bad, but now the circumstances have intensified also. Verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick. Indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So this leaves us to think 
that perhaps, at least on the labor level, they didn't even know that Moses was trying to negotiate with Pharaoh in order to gain their freedom. There's something about this whole process that speaks about how we find our freedom in Christ. You know, as as the Lord is delivering us from our sin, you know, circumstances may intensify for you. And you may be thinking, what in the world is all of this about? You know, I'm not even recognized, like you're not even thinking about going to church yet, not even thinking about like reading a Bible or surrendering your life to become a Christian, just suddenly in your circumstances, things start getting bad. And it all ends up focusing on a relationship with God. Read a few more verses here. In verse 17, he said, you are idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, Go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. The officers and the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. There's there's something about the way that the Lord brings us to himself that's really uncomfortable. You know, you might think about salvation and Christianity and the process of coming to the Lord as like a a strictly joyous thing, right? And it's certainly the end result is joyous, but, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is the one who coined the phrase born again, right? That's not something we as Christians invented, that term. Jesus is the one in John chapter 3, who said to the religious ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus, who had come to speak to him, you know, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, for all the ladies in the room who have given birth, right, there is a very difficult process (laughs) that you all go through in order to get to the joy-filled moment of receiving the child the child is certainly a joyous thing right born again there's a birthing process that very often involves a lot of screaming you know a lot of tears a lot of pain but in the end the child of god that is produced is worth your time the joy that comes from the experience. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. You might want to write that down somewhere that says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. This is a description of how the Lord cares for those that belong to him. Now, That might sound sort of quaint, but what's going on in this description is the parent eagle knows it's time for the fledgling eagle to fly. But the young eagle doesn't want to leave the comfort of the nest. It's 
soft. It's lined with fur and feathers. It's warm. It's well kept. When it rains, their parents come and hover over them and put their wings out over them and keep them warm. They just have to cry and their parents bring them food and literally put it right in their mouths every day. What's being described here is when the parent eagle knows it's time to fly, comes to the nest and rips it apart. Tears all of those feathers and all of that fur out of the nest and leaves nothing but sticks and brambles standing up so that this young eagle no longer wants to be in the nest. It's getting jabbed. It's getting poked. It doesn't like it. It will hover on the edge of the nest. If it's necessary, the parent eagle will literally grab a hold of the fledgling with its talons and fly up out of the nest and let go of that young bird. It quickly swoops underneath it as you're reading, you know, carrying them on its wings. It's not a joyous process for the eaglet to go from the comfort of the nest to the place of flying. These people have gotten comfortable in their slavery. Their routine, right? Yes, they're slaves. Yes, they don't have their freedom. Yes, God wants much more for them. But they don't want to go through the painful process that is necessary in order for them to find their freedom. Pharaoh is not just going to say, go ahead, you can have your freedom, be on your way. See, Pharaoh represents Satan. Egypt represents sin that they're enslaved to. It's not going to be easy to come to the Lord. It's not going to be easy to step into the kingdom. Things are going to get hard. If you're sitting there right now thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Please understand that the outcome is so immeasurably worth it. I mean, what a horrible thing. You, I mean, you've all probably seen in this area eagles flying. What a magnificent thing. You know, I'm working as a tour guide in Acadia National Park, and I'm driving down near precipice trails, and I've already begun the whole explanation of there are more than 200 species of birds here on the island you know i'm going through a list and i've just gotten to the peregrine falcons and a bald eagle comes through the trees and he's about 10 feet off the road and just flies ahead of my truck like you know this is rehearsed everybody in the truck is just dumbfounded with magnificent massive bird what a terrible thing if that bird, because of comfort, never learned how to fly. Just stayed in its nest for the rest of its life. Dependent upon those coming and feeding it. Never able to just soar to great heights. Terrible. We are prompted by the Lord out of the slavery that we were in. And it's an uncomfortable process. But the payout is worth your time. Know this. Know that there are difficulties. Verse 20, then they came out from Pharaoh. They met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. 
and put a sword in the hand, their hand to kill us. You brought this hardship on us. <laughs> you, you great preacher Moses all out declaring these amazing things, and now I'm going exactly through the problems that you've stirred up in my life. It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. Right? It's not even Pharaoh. Excuse me, it's not even the Lord. It is, in fact, Pharaoh that's causing the problems. The, the Lord isn't creating these problems. As much as he's using it to stir up the situation, to create it a discomfort, these people are going to want to leave Egypt when it's done. You know, The, the plagues are going to come, and they're not going to want to hang out. <clears throat> the Lord may do that in your life. He may stir it up so bad that you're ready. You're ready for whatever change he's offering you. And the change may not be pleasant. And you may have to go through, you know, you think about this, right? None of the people that leave out of Egypt enter into the promised land. You may look back years from now at the freedom the Lord creates in your life and realize you are an entirely different person than you are right now. One, two, five, ten years from now, completely different person because of the circumstances that God has brought you through. You guys have seen that poem, right? Footsteps, beautiful poem, you know, saw. I don't know how that thing, I should probably memorize that. Hmm. Two sets of footprints on the beach, and then there's suddenly one set of footprints on the beach. And then I said to the Lord, you know, why is it that you left me? And, you know, he says, no, it's not that I left you at that point, it is at that point that I carried you. And we all go, oh, that's so nice. I mean, if that's my story, you know, it's more like, hey, what's all that scuffling? And why is my face print right there? That sort of looks like I was being drugged by my heels and I was like clawing. And why was that? It was then that I dragged you to where you belong. You know, I don't know. God is faithful to get you to the place you're supposed to be. And it's not always pleasant. I mean, it's wonderful when it works out like a Hallmark card. But, you know, we know both of those people and they're annoying. So you've, you've done this to kill us is the accusation against Moses and Aaron. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it? You have sent me. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Oh, yes, he has. Right? He, Aaron and Moses don't know the beginning from the end of the story. The process has begun. You know, I'll give you my life verse one more time. Right? I know thousands, millions People probably claim this verse is their own. It's okay. I'll let them borrow it. But Philippians 1.6, Paul says to the church of Philippi, I'm confident of this. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, even unto the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're struggling along, know. Know this. God is bringing you through a process. And in time... God is going to complete that process, and it may take the rest of your life. In fact, it will take the rest of your life. 
It's going to be a process for the rest of your life. The wonderful thing is, you know, you can't measure by where you are currently. You've got to look back at where you started. Right? You got to measure the distance. That's why I chose that verse about remembering the rock from which you were healed. You got to remember where this process began, where it was that you started with the Lord and measure the distance that he's brought you over. Make sense? Well, let's stand and we'll pray. We'll pick up at chapter 6 next week. Father, I thank you very much for your work and your love in our lives. We so desperately need you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to cooperate with this work. That we would wait upon you. That your hand would work in us and through us. Bless us with that patience and the peacefulness of trust, knowing that you were in progress, that you are working on us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.